But we are in a, a, a quick mini-series called uh, Cruise, uh, Better Together, however you want to name it, because we just believe so much that we need each other intentionally. And I mentioned this last week, if you just come on a Sunday morning and that's all you do, you come on a Sunday morning and you kind of check the church box, they, and you feeling like you're missing something, it's because you are. Because the church, as the Bible defines it, is a group of people following Jesus together. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's not an activity. It's an identity. And an identity means you are fireside. So it's not something that you go to. It's something that you are. And Sunday morning is a part of what we do because we're called to gather together. There's something very powerful when we all worship, when we all hear from the Lord. Our kids get to know each other. It's, it's a very amazing time. But it's just part of what God has designed church to be. And one of the things that I really believe that um, we have missed in many times as a church, as, as a global church, is intentional discipleship. And I know discipleship can be a scary word, but intentional relationship, helping another person grow as they help you grow closer to Jesus. Because I can tell you things, but I don't know you all as personally as someone else may know you, and they can speak truth. They can say, hey, I know you, and I know this is how you operate, and let me help you speak truth into, and I'll speak truth into your life, what scripture says, Amen. So I want to do a go back to the Old Testament. Last week we talked about Jesus, right? Jesus did three things with these, his crew, which was John, James, and Peter. One, he revealed who he really was in the transfiguration. This is who I really am. And he glowed and he, and he was with Elijah and Moses, this really epic kind of scene that we're going to talk about in March. This is who I really am. Two, he brought them in. There's a time where he healed the daughter of Jairus. And he said, hey, everyone stay out except for John, James, and Peter brought them in. I want you to share in the ministry of what I'm doing. Similar to what we would hope you would do in your crew. This is how God is using me, in me, and through me. And then third, he brought him into his suffering, Garden of Gethsemane. He went out to pray and said, hey, Peter, John, and James, could you come with me? And he, there he got on his knees and he prayed to the Father, God Almighty, and, and just in his anguish because he knew that his crucifixion was just days away. And this is what we want for your crew. So a couple years ago, three years ago, when we were first here, we did a series called in the wilderness, walking in the wilderness, and we looked at the story of Moses. And this is really before we were um, uh, uh, opening up our doors to everybody. It was just kind of our core group. And I did a sermon on what I'm about to preach this morning in Exodus chapter 17. And the title is Brace Yourself for Battle. When I preached this years ago, my oldest daughter had just finished her first uh, round of uh, uh, big treatment for about nine months. She was in the clear, and so we were in a very different frame. And I went back to look at those notes, and I just had like a half a page of notes because so much was fresh because we were battling for over for a year at that point, and we just had people kind of supporting us and helping us um, and go through the battles. And now I look back at that in a different lens, and not a, not a bad lens, but a different lens. And so as we were going into a cruise, I thought, you know what, this is a sermon that needs to be revamped and re-preached because we are all facing battles of different kinds in our life. 
And the question is, have you braced yourself for battle? So I want to set up what we're about to read in Exodus 17. And and Moses had just led his people, the Israelites, God's people, into the wilderness. They are hungry and they are thirsty. In Exodus 16, they just get water and they are complaining to Moses. They have no water. They had been slaves for 400 years. They are not soldiers. They are slaves. And they are exposed on all sides. Moses had two guys, actually three guys, that were his kind of crew. One was Joshua, who actually took over uh, Moses as a leader. His brother, Aaron, and Ur, H-U-R, possibly his brother-in-law. We don't know exactly how they were related, but some people think it was his brother-in-law or his nephew. We see Aaron in the very beginning when, when God called Moses. If, if you've read the Bible, you see this big burning bush. Moses had fled um, Egypt because he had killed an Egyptian. He was scared. He's in the wilderness and this bush starts burning, but it's not burning. It's just on fire. And God speaks to him and God tells Moses, I am sending you. And Moses gives excuse, excuse, excuse. You can't send me. I'm old. I'm 80. You can't send me. I I can't do this. They'll attack me. And then he said, you can't send me because my speech is not the best. I'm not a good public speaker. Finally, God's like, okay, I will give you a helper and Aaron will be your voice. So just from the very beginning, God had recognized, you know what? You can't do this alone. I'm going to give you someone else to do this and so introduce Aaron so here are Moses's guys and as they're tired and as they're weary they get attacked by this tribe called the Amalekites and these guys are pesky enemies they're nomadic they live in this land and what they do is they kill for sport they make their living not by farming but takes other by taking other people's farm and so they will look and now lo and behold they see Thousands, possibly millions of Israelites in the desert wandering, not looking the best because they're hungry, they're thirsty, they've been slaves. And now they think, well, you know what, this is going to be an easy target. And so they attack. And these Amalekites keep coming up. They come up in David's life and Saul's life and Solomon's life. They keep coming. And, and so what does Moses do? Because oftentimes when it rains, it pours. Don't you feel like that? When, when a battle comes, it's not just one battle, but it seems like it's one after another after another. A couple months ago, our car broke down really right up the street coming here. Kate was with the kids. The car started smoking. We got it here. Um, we were able to triple A it thanks to the Hansons. We got uh, it fixed. I'm going to pick it up with my other car on my way to pick up my broken car the engine light went on my current car i'm like you gotta be kidding me so i pull in and basically just exchanged cars but maybe you guys have similar stories that hey it's not just one thing but it's one thing after another it's hard enough that the israelites are in the wilderness with barely enough uh, materials to survive and weak and feeling bad for themselves now they have to go and fight And here we are, Exodus 17, verses 8. And if you got your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, you can read with me 8 through 13 of Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. 
Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands drew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give people to support our hands as we go into the battles of life. Jesus, would you brace brace us for battle now, even if the battle's not even being fought? For future battles, Lord, we need you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here, God, that you would just stir in their heart an understanding of who you are, Lord. And in your name we pray, amen. When I was in middle school, I played on the middle school basketball team. I'm a basketball player. That's kind of my passion. And I remember that their coach would make us run around the gym for about 10 minutes, which doesn't seem long, but for a sixth grader, that's like forever. And then the last two minutes of us running, he would just say, everybody, put your hands in the air, and you would have to run the last two minutes with your hands in the air. I remember him thinking, like, what is this? This is ridiculous. But after 30 seconds, I thought my, hand, my arms were going to fall off. Have you ever done that? Put your hands in the air and for, for after a while they start feeling tired and it's like the only thing that's making it tired is your own weight. And here you have Moses who's fighting all day an 80 year old man who is putting his hands in it. So you can imagine. I watched a movie um, a year ago called the movie is called The Siege. It's on Netflix. It's about the UN putting an Irish a platoon in an outpost in Congo during a civil war. And, and it shows them come to this compound, and there's a scene where the, the captain, the commander, gets out, and he looks around, and his second-in-command looks at him and says, we are so exposed right now. He said, look over there. There's hills over there. They can flank us here. There's a road that comes in the middle. We have no preparations to fight if anyone attacks us. So the commander looks and says, you know what? Why don't we get prepared? And so do we have shovels? So they get shovels and they start digging trenches and they put sandbags up. They go into their artillery room and they see all these weapons and they start placing their weapons strategically so when the enemy comes or if the enemy came, they would be prepared. Actually, in military... Only 1% of those who are in military seek active duty. Only 1% of military will actually fire a weapon in active combat. If you talk with someone in the military, you'll ask them, and you can even ask Chris Brantley, what do you do all day? And what they will say is, we train. We train. The majority of their time is to prepare themselves for the battles that will or may come their way. So my question is, are you ready for battle? I believe many are like this UN outpost, that you are fully exposed and you have not done the preparations as when the enemy attacks, that you will not be prepared. And my hope today is that we could take a step in being prepared. 
My fear is that when you get thrown into a spiritual battle, you will look to the right and to the left, and there will be nobody there supporting your arms. Because we are not meant to fight alone. God did not intend us to fight battles alone. He intended us to fight together with others. Would you brace yourself for battle? Or as other people say, would you prepare for pain or would you train for trials? The author of the famous book, Don Coyote, says this, The man who is prepared has his battle half fought. How many times have you been in doing something that you were unprepared for? We're in a soccer team right now, a bunch of us. You see Andrew with his hurt foot. That's a product of our soccer team. I remember a couple, a couple weeks ago, first playing, and I'm like, I am so out of shape. I am so unprepared for this game. There's a couple that Kate and I resonate with, Jay and Catherine Wolf, And they wrote a book called Hope Heals, and then a second book called Suffer Strong. Their story goes like this. Catherine was a model, and Jay was finishing up law school at Pepperdine, and they moved to L.A., the first thing they did in L.A., because they were believers, that they knew they needed a support system. Catherine was pregnant and about to have a baby. They got plugged into a church. Not only did they get plugged into the church, they became leaders of this young adults movement. And, and kind of like the movie Friends, their friends became their family. One day, Catherine gets something like an aneurysm. She gets paralyzed from her right side and her legs. They think she's going to die. She gets sent to the hospital, and she's in the hospital in over nine months. The doctors come out to tell Jay that she's not going to make it, but we're going to try this risky surgery. Then she has rehab, not sure she's ever going to walk again, not even sure she's ever going to have brain activity again. And she comes through, but not with wounds. She has many wounds. She can, now she can walk, but with a walker. Now her, her, her speech is sleared. And they have gone on to write books and to be advocates saying, you know, the reason why they were able to get through is because they were prepared for pain. That this small group of young adults surrounded them, took care of their son, took care of their needs. This is the same thing that me and Kate experienced with Ellie. A lot of people say, well, that's because you were a pastor. But see, Catherine and Jay weren't pastors. This is for everybody that when life's battles come, and they will come, maybe you are already fighting them. Are you prepared? You have people right there to say, I got you. I am supporting your left side. And someone said, I'm supporting your right side. I'm going to let you know what you need before you need it because I know you. In one of their books, Hope Heals, there was a study, and they said they analyzed the pronouns used in people's personal reflections of coping with loss. He found that participants who more often used the pronoun we than I later reported some version of post-traumatic growth. The people said that we are going through this, and this isn't just a couple, a husband and wife or a family. This is we, meaning people in their life, had a better uh, way of getting through it the long term than someone who said I. But for us, kind of like insurance, we wish we could predict the future. 
And I just want to let you guys know right now that if you look at Scripture, so much of it is in preparation of the battles that are going to come our way. That we are called to prepare ourselves and to brace for the battles that will come. But many of us find ourselves in situations where maybe we weren't prepared. I could tell you story after story of the mistakes I've made in home improvements because I didn't think ahead. If I could predict the future, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> Don't you look back and you look at like cryptocurrency and you're thinking, why didn't I buy Bitcoin like 15 years ago? You have no idea. And you almost feel like you should have known. But what I'm telling you right now is though you may not be able to predict the future or what the battles will be, I am telling you right now that battles will come into your life. Some of them will feel like a nuclear war attack. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Two equal metals making the other person sharper. As I was looking at this, and I've never looked at it through the lens of battle, is that when they would go out to battles before guns were invented, they would just use iron and they would slam, and what they would do was be getting their swords ready for battle. This is a battle of readiness with friends. Joshua fought with swords in a physical battle, but I'm talking about a spiritual battle. And do you have someone to say, I think you may be vulnerable for an attack? This is what I think that crews are so important, is that sometimes people need to say, hey, you know, I see this habit in your life, and if, and if we don't do something about it, I'm afraid the enemy is going to attack. Deuteronomy 25, this is after the, this battle happened in the Old Testament, they re- reflected and they said, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They had met you on the journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. See, we know that Satan prowls around like a lion. And what the lion does, he will attack the weakest prey when they are at their weakest. When I see someone weary and and hurting, this is where I feel like this is when they need the most support. Because this is where the enemy will come and attack and they will come and pry. It's like my, my, my daughter and my son, Emmy and Blake. Like when Blake is in a mood, you know when, you, when your kids or if, you, if anybody, even us adults, you get in a mood and it's just the little things that just kind of really get you going. And then Emmy sees us and Emmy's like, oh, this is like, this is ripe for the picking. And she knows how to push his buttons. All I have to do is say this or do this. And then when I say, Emmy, don't do this, like, whoa, what are, all I did was this. But I'm like, you know the situation he's in. And the same is the enemy knows when you're at your weakest. The enemy knows when you're vulnerable for an attack. If you look at David's story with Bathsheba, I remember looking at this. You know, David looks out on his ledge and he sees this beautiful girl bathing. And he says, hey, you know, bring her to me. He had no support. 
All the other guys, it says, had gone off to war. This is the first time David didn't go with him. All his brothers that he would listen to were out of his life. And he was by himself. And even a servant tries to call him and say, Hey, David, I don't think you want to do that. That's Bathsheba. You know, she, she, she's, like, she's married to your eyes. She, she, you, know, you know her husband. He's fighting for you. He said, I don't care. I don't listen to you. Because the guys he listened to were gone. Guess what? Bathsheba came. They slept together. They had a baby together. Now he's in a mess. And he ends up murdering her husband. Why? Because he had no accountability. I read further into that. And what I saw was this. Is that David had a fight with his wife just chapters before. He was out dancing because, you know, uh, they had this parade for the temple. And, and, he, and his wife looked at him and said, what are you doing? And I had this big fight. So now you have David with no accountability. And now you have David who had gotten a big fight with his wife. And don't you think it's just coincidence that here's this beautiful girl bathing in his eyesight? It's the attack. When we're at our lowest This is when the devil will come at us. The enemy will say, oh, I know what's going to get you going. Kind of like he's an older brother and sister. I just got to do this and nudge you. Because the more I do this, the farther away you're going to get from your loving father. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan didn't tempt him in the beginning. He tempted him at the end when he was the weakest. Have you ever gone grocery shopping when you're hungry? It's like the worst thing. I come out and I'm like, I don't know how that got in my cart. (laughs) Kate will send me out sometimes, but she's been hesitant to do that lately. She's like, have you eaten? No, no, I'll get something after. No, eat something now, then go grocery shopping. Because then you're weak and you're tempted. Like, oh, you know, everybody needs Doritos and Oreos. And then you come back and you think, what have I done? And the enemy doesn't play fair. The enemy fights strategically. But I believe that we can brace ourselves for these battles ahead of time. That when we fight, face battle, that we would have people in our lives that could support us from our left and our right. And in order to support someone, to prop their hands up, you have to be close to them. Something that our society doesn't like. We like to keep distance. We talked about this last week. We, we don't want to inconvenience others. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be vulnerable. We just want to keep them separate. But my hope is that we would truly be proactive. I was at a a pastor's group the other day, and a pastor was talking about the culture of his church. And he said, when we first came there, we had this big dinner down in the basement of the church building, and nobody sat with us. And everyone was talking about, oh, that's so sad. Why wouldn't?" And I'm thinking, what do you mean? You should have sat with someone else. Why did, why did you sit by yourself? You should have never sat by yourself to begin with. You know, and this is what I think we do, right? Poor me. No one's going to come and talk with me. And my hope, and my hope is that we could be confident. Be like, you know, I know I need people, so I'm going to put myself out there. Because when I'm facing battles, I need someone to prop my hands up. Because I know I can't do it alone. Could we live with that confidence? People I don't know will say, how'd you get through Ellie? How'd you get through that process? And what I will say is this. We had people in position to prop us up. 
we had so much support that we never felt like we were fighting alone. We had braced ourselves for battle by putting ourselves in a position for people to prop us up. And there were times where we couldn't lift our hands in the air anymore. There are times where we were even upset with God for what he was doing. But there were people who were praying on our behalf, who were fighting with us. And we are still fighting, as many of you are still fighting battles. But my hope is that we're not fighting alone. And I get it. It's hard. And sometimes I feel like, you probably feel like, I'm just a slave I'm weak. (laughs) How am I supposed to stop the enemy who's just so powerful and so big? I have no superpowers. I'm not a soldier. Sort of like the Israelites. And the reality is that you are a slave. But you're a slave to Christ. You're a slave to God Almighty. I was reading in this book I got. It's kind of a coffee table book, but we don't have a coffee table, so it goes above our mantle. It has all these kind of cool war stories. And there was one about George Washington and how they took Boston in the beginning of the Revolutionary War. They're all hiding out in Cambridge, and there was about 10,000 redcoats, British, in Boston, two warships. George Washington, one night, he went and he strategically put cannons all around the city. My guess is maybe around Bunker Hill. I don't know, but they were high. So in the morning, when the British woke up, they looked up and all they saw were cannons facing them. They didn't think they had a chance. So 10,000 men and two warships abandoned Boston. And here come the Minutemen taking over. Here's the thing. George Washington had no gunpowder. They had enough gunpowder to shoot one round of cannons. It was a bluff. He had no power and authority to actually use the weapons that were facing the redcoats. And this is what I think. I think the enemy does the same thing in our lives. That there are times in our life where we will wake up and we will see the cannons facing us and we will, we will just assume that there is no way we can win this war and we will flee or we will give in to it or we surrender to it. And the reality is Satan has no power over you if you have Jesus on your side. We are more than conquerors. Romans 8.15, if you have your Bibles, go to chapter 8. One of my favorite chapters He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, Think about the pronoun and the words he uses, us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Aren't all those the things that we are afraid of right now? We're afraid of the physical, we're afraid of the spiritual, we're afraid of not having enough food, we're afraid of our health, we're afraid of people coming against us. And he says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. And we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, 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 no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love, the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. As the band comes in, I just want to hone in on this, that we are more than conquerors. We as a collection, we as a church, we as people who have Jesus Christ living in us and through us, we are conquerors. So when the cannons are facing you and when the battle seems too big, remember there is no power or authority behind that to actually harm you because you are bigger than them because of not because of you, but because who lives in you. I was, I'm reading a lot on heaven lately, and February 6th, we're going to have a special kind of a year thing with Ellie and kind of talk through that, but I'm on my fifth heaven book. And I interviewed a guy who wrote this book, Imagine Heaven, and he, he's talking to Lee Strobel, who was interviewing him, and he said, hey, you, you, you researched heaven, what do you want people to know? And the author says he had tears rolling down his eyes. And he said, in all these experiences, everyone who encountered Jesus just couldn't describe it. And he said, I just want people to know that Jesus is everything. And this is where where I land the plane in my life, that Jesus is everything. And if Jesus is everything, then everything else is nothing. Could we live with this understanding that because Jesus is everything... He's going to do everything it takes for us to get closer to him and to bring others. And he set up a system called the church to help us in our battles. This morning's reading plan, if you're following us, it was the feeding of the 5,000. And there's all these people in need and Jesus, they come and Jesus, what are we going to do? And what does Jesus say? You feed them. But we can't. You're right. But I will use you to feed them. So Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, but it was the people, the disciples, who distributed the food. He delights in using us. I think when our battles, we need people to prop us up when we're tired. And when the canines are coming, we need a reminder to say, hey, guess what? I know it looks bad, but let me tell you. Let me tell you, there's no authority over us because we have Jesus on our side. When Elijah was surrounded, his servant looks and said, there's more than them than there are. It's just two. They're surrounded. And Elijah prayed, would you open up his eyes? And he opened up and he just saw chariots of angels surrounding the enemy. And this is my prayer, that we would have people in our life that would help us to open our eyes to see that Jesus is in it everything so do you have people in your life that will brace your arms that will go to battle with you and this is what a crew is supposed to be this is what the church is supposed to be I mean I'm not that good of a preacher Connor's not that good of a worship leader for you just to come to hear this the church is people That we are every day going out into battle. But here's the thing. We're not going into battle alone. People on our right and our left. I got you. If you 
talk with anyone in the military, they'll say, you know, how amazing it is to have a band of brothers that go into a war to battle with them. That they would take bullets for them. So this is my hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that there are battles every day in our lives, God, spiritual, mental, relationships, marital, work relationships, physical battles. Lord, they, the list goes on and on, God. And Lord, would you just bring us people <laughs> that when our arms fail, and they will fail, that there's someone that says, I got you. Lord, if those of you who are here aren't fighting a battle, Lord, would, would you help them be prepared? Would you put people in their lives right now that when the battles come, that they're already in a position to prop them up? And Lord, thank you for using us to be a part of fighting other people's battles. As Paul says, when one body suffers. We all suffer, Lord. You've created us for community, Lord. And God, we are more than conquerors, not by anything we do, but because of everything you have done and are doing. So we fight with that.